Welcome to the Nourish and Empower podcast, where we redefine, reclaim, and restore the true meaning of health. Join us as we dive into the tough conversations about mental health, nutrition, eating disorders, diet culture, and body image. I'm Maggie, a registered dietitian. And I'm Jessica, a licensed professional counselor. Together, we have over 10 years of experience working in eating disorders and mental health treatment. Trigger warning. In this show, we will be discussing eating disorders and other mental health disorders. We welcome you to the table for these conversations. However, if at any point you feel those conversations are causing more harm in your recovery process, you can always take a pause and come back to listen and reflect with us at a later time. Even though we are discussing nutrition and therapy modalities on this podcast, this show is not medical, nutrition, or mental health treatment and is not a replacement for meeting with a registered dietitian, licensed mental health provider, or any other medical provider. You can find resources for how to find a provider as well as crisis resources in the show notes. Kick back, relax, grab a snack, and join your favorite dietitian and therapist duo as we chat, laugh, cry, and reflect together. Hello, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, I'm Jessica, the licensed professional counselor. And I am Maggie, the registered dietitian. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, we are so incredibly excited um, for starting this and for you guys tuning in and wanting to eat, chat, and cry and love together. So what we're going to do today is I am going to interview Jessica and Jessica is going to interview me. So that way we get a chance for you all to get to know us a little bit more um, and kind of learn a little bit more about our work and, you know, kind of why we wanted to start this. Mm -hmm. So I think what's cool about some of these too is I actually don't know Jessica's answers to a lot of these. I don't think I know yours either though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're all getting to know each other at the same time. All right. So um, for the first question, so what brought you to becoming a therapist? So I have always known I wanted to be a therapist. So quick story, but my stories are never quick. <laughs> um, I, in eighth grade, I remember for in English class, like literally as plain as day, remember writing, like, remember when we used to get vocab words and you had to like write a story or whatever with mm-hmm. using all of them? So I wrote how I wanted to be a therapist using all of my vocab words. At what age? 13. Wow. So I've always known I've wanted to be a therapist. Yeah. My journey originally, I wanted to be a therapist for children that were sexually assaulted and abused. Okay. Um, that population always rang home to me, mm-hmm. um, which is why I like eating disorders because there's a whole lot of trauma that is connected with the population. So I feel like I'm getting the... Weird to say it, but, like, the best of both worlds Mm -hmm. in regards to, like, the topics and the populations and the people I wanted to help. Right. Um, So I've always wanted to be a therapist. It's always been the track I wanted to go down, always the life I wanted to live. Where my soul is. So you wanted to be a therapist from 13. Yeah. Right? And so... Then as, like, you went to college, you started working, like, how did you get to eating disorders? Oh, great question, because college was a tricky time in my life. So I actually didn't even graduate with a psychology degree because um, math and I, it never maths together. We just okay. don't work. Mm-hmm. So statistics didn't pass. So I ha- actually graduated with a women and gender studies degree 
um, from Gettysburg College. And then I went to Morris County College in New Jersey to then get all of my like prerequisite requirements to even look, be looked at in grad schools. So went through that whole journey, graduated with my master's in 2016. And then honestly, like eating disorders kind of just fell in my lap. Mm -hmm. And it was the first job that I was really offered, like went on a bunch of interviews, um, but it was the first job I was really offered to work at Center for Discovery in Paramus, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And it just filled a big spot in my heart. And then I just kind of never looked back. I'm now working in private practice because I worked at Center for Discovery for like four years, three or four years. Mm-hmm. I didn't go specifically to eating disorders. I kind of just like opened up the gates for it to be anything. But then as time went on, I really missed the population. Like I missed talking to people about the topics, missed really working through people's traumas. And I'm a huge foodie. My Italian heart <laughs> loves it. So being able to then build that relationship with people, again, with food and their bodies and like that whole self-love piece meant so much to me. So started just because it landed in my lap and now I'm the liaison of all eating disorder cases in the private practice I worked at. So big transition all because of just an accident. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I know that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of like the work that you're doing, Mm -hmm. Currently, you yes. know, the work you're doing now with clients, like what, what are some of your favorite parts of what you're doing? Oh, great question. So this is going to sound super fucked up, but I love when my clients cry in sessions. Mm-hmm. I love <laughs> when we're really hitting something hard, going home at something. And all of a sudden, like the, the client just gets the look on their face of like, ah, oh, shit. And you know we've hit something deep. You know they're really going somewhere. That vulnerability piece is coming out. And it's just so enjoyable because watching people heal and allowing people to feel safe enough. Because that's the one thing I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that sitting in the chair of a therapist or any even a dietitian, mm-hmm. people are trusting you with their entire soul. Like everything they're saying to you is mm-hmm. like, I don't know if they would ever say to anybody else. And some of their, like, darkest things are coming out in sessions. So when I see a client that's, like, breaking down, really allowing themselves to be vulnerable and be present with themselves, I'm like, you trust me and you love me and I really appreciate that. So, like, one of my favorite things about the job is being able to be that person for somebody and know and have them realize that, like, they're not alone in this journey because recovery journey is a dirty bitch. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's really nitty-gritty. Um, so like watching people grow, but love to be that emotional cheerleader. I also love, again, it's probably going to sound so weird, but I love calling people out. Mm-hmm. So being able to like have a client tell me something and me just look at their face and go, why are we lying? Mm-hmm. And just like really getting them to be honest with themselves is also a part I really like. That mm-hmm. challenge piece. My family always tells me that my best quality is making, I know how to make people uncomfortable. And so I really use that in, in my work. Mm-hmm. So it's a gift. Yeah. I so mean, those are my parts. Finding comfort in the discomfort is like a huge part of huge. the recovery process. Absolutely. Yeah. So you like when people like go there, right? Mm-hmm. Like when they, when they get real, when they get honest in seeing some clients virtually, yes. like more recently versus like when you were fully seeing clients in person, like back Correct. a few years ago, like, do you find that clients open up in a different way when it's like virtual versus in person because I could see there being some comfort in like Mm -hmm. being home right and like being 
in their comfortable environment, you know, being on like a video call with you rather than like being in in an office setting. It's actually so interesting because I also do, I also meet with clients. I just do phone session. Like there are literally some Mm. clients. I have no idea what they look like. Like I've Mm -hmm. never met them. I've never seen them. Um, and I actually just talked about that with, um, a client that we used to share and I was like, dude, I've never seen what you look like. So you're telling me about your boyfriend that you've been with for two years. And she's like, oh my God. So she like sent me a picture during our session. I was like, oh, this is you. Mm-hmm. So I definitely see, going back to your question, mm-hmm. I, I personally think it depends on the person. Because I think when COVID yeah. first hit, there were so many people that were like, I hate every fiber of this, but I'm going to stiff it out because I need therapy. Yeah. And as soon as we were able to get back in person, they were them true selves. Like right. they could not do it at home. They did not feel comfortable at home. Because for a lot of people too, unfortunately, their house is their place of trauma. Their house is their place of that yeah. destruction. So being able to heal in that is one of the toughest things. So them being able to be taken out of their environment try and like find a way to heal and then bring it to the place of trauma is easier instead of their like central nervous system and their bodies or their minds going through that fight or flight for the entire hour. Sometimes it's harder for them to actually be able to focus and get through it. Some clients are like, let me stay in my bed. Let me live Mm -hmm. my best life. Like I don't have to put on clothes. I'm like in my comfies, whatever. And they're just as vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I think it really just depends on like, If your place is a true safe space, if there's anybody home with you, if you feel like you need to be like doing something, like some clients are like, I need to go for a drive or like I need to do laundry and they find it's a really good balance because then it's also like therapy is just an hour. They don't have to travel 20 minutes to see me and then it's like an hour and 40 minutes really for therapy. It's truly just an hour. So I've definitely seen some people come out of that and say like, this is fantastic and I've seen people truly become destructive when it was virtual Mm -hmm. and we're like we're never doing this again right yeah right I could almost see like how a mix of both could almost be helpful for a lot of people because Mm -hmm. there's a comfort in one there's an exposure in the other so it's interesting yeah no it's Mm -hmm. it was so interesting to see it too because I love being home Mm -hmm. love seeing my clients in person but I do love being home because I also feel like that work-life balance, like especially for us, our hours are crazy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. being able to have the ability to like be home and like if anything, like if a client cancels, I have an hour to like do laundry, do my dishes, whatever it is. You right, know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like with clients, they see the same thing. And it is just, it is a very interesting experience seeing how we were like forced to do it. And now people have the choice. And I also think too we're like us as providers, we're not bound to only seeing people within a certain radius. Like I see people Mm -hmm. that are a half hour from me. I see people that are two hours from me and it's Mm -hmm. all because we now have the ability to do so virtually. So I think it also has opened up like a fantastic ability for people to actually receive our help. Oh, absolutely. I have some clients, right. That live like over an hour away and they've said like, I could never come see you in person person. once a week or I would never have even found you, you know, had this not happened. It was like one of the, as a provider, like seeing that ability for people to actually receive the help. Because if you think about it too, like if we were only confined to our, like the smaller radius People wouldn't ever get help because the wait lists are insane. So now being able to just go anywhere within the state and be able to see that person, it's awesome. Yeah. So what would you say like your therapeutic style is? 
Who I am as a person is who I am as a therapist. You, There is a very small <laughs> difference between me of like who you're going to see in this podcast and who I am in my chair. If I were in therapy, I would want a person. I wouldn't want somebody that's overly professional, if yeah. that sounds weird. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I want someone that's going to like, I've seen clients where like if they're saying something really vulnerable and I'm sitting there and they can tell I'm emotional, they feel connected. Mm-hmm. they understand that somebody's in the room with them, not this person saying, so how does that make you feel? Like, right. it's not like, I don't like stiffness. I've never been that person. Yeah. As you know. Mm-hmm. So for me, my style is more so of like, come into my room, come into my Zoom room, wherever it is, to know you're going to be with a person that's going to have a real conversation. Mm-hmm. One thing I definitely do is I try to mirror the personality and like the stance of my client, right? So I have clients from seven years old to 60 years old. So my age range, not all for eating disorders, but my age range is very vast, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have a 50, 50 year old woman, right? And she's much more like conservative I'm not going to be sitting there like yeah bitch tell me how your day is like right Right. I'm going to mirror the personality and the way in which my client is yeah so I feel like really getting to know the person understanding their mannerisms understanding who you are that's Mm -hmm. my style Mm -hmm. and then figuring out like when do you need that tough love how am I going to do it I've even sat there what do you need from me today like Mm -hmm. I don't like to be the director of the session this is your time I want to help you feel that autonomy and independence Mm -hmm. and clients will like sometimes they're jarred and they're just like what do you mean what do I want and I'm like do you want to be challenged or you just want me to listen to you and sometimes clients will look at me like I just ask them like do you know how to breathe Mm -hmm. because they've never been asked such like a vulnerable question before so my style is just like who are you let me get to know you Mm -hmm. and let's do you yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like this quote. There's lots of variations to it, but it's mm-hmm. basically like, right. Are you looking for comfort or solutions? Mm-hmm. You know? And like, that's something like even with friends or with my husband, yeah. right. That like that comes up where sometimes it's like, okay, are you just looking for somebody to listen and yeah. to vent to? Or like, are you looking for me to like give you feedback? Correct. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes too, like I've been in positions where like I'm a specific client I'm thinking of. I was helping, like, she was going through recovery, and I was, like, just going back at her, right? She was saying something, and, like, supportively, I was like, okay, but is that a positive thought to have right now, right? And I know I'm, like, disgustingly optimistic, but I was really trying to, like, support her, and I could feel, and this was a phone session, but I could just feel her shutting down. Mm-hmm. So I took a step back, and I was just like, this isn't helping you, is it? Yeah. And she on and she said no, and I was like, thank you. So you want me to listen today. That's what you're saying. And she was like, yeah, actually, that's what I don't want any. And we just like completely turned the tables, turned the entire vibe of the session. And then she was able to get something out of it. Mm Because you don't, sometimes you don't know what a client needs. And I don't know if you ever feel this way. Mm -hmm. But I am always in that solution focused, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to tell me an eating disorder thought, best believe I'm going to challenge it and tell you to stop. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like I have to put myself in the shoes of like, am I helping you or hurting you more by doing that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think as dietitians too, like sometimes, right, I have to pull myself back a little bit and be like, okay, like I don't need to find the answers, right? Sometimes it's just like sitting in the suck for a little bit and like we're just going to sit here and like process this and there doesn't have to be a conclusion, you know, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Or even like sitting in the silence, Mm -hmm. like and just letting if a client just has nothing to say or just needs a minute to sit there they're probably going to be more uncomfortable than I am. But sometimes I have to be like, just sit here. Mm -hmm. And I'm such a talker. 
shocker, <laughs> that like sometimes I just feel like we need to keep talking. But some of the some beautiful moments of sessions have come from silence. Yeah. So that's also a thing that like, I sometimes have to remind myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like that's one of the ways like you've grown most as a therapist? Like, do you think a couple of years ago were you like trying to fill that space? And oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I literally it's funny you say that. When I worked at Center for Discovery, there was a group that I made solely on practicing silence. Wow. And it was for the clients, but it was also for me. (laughs) For you. (laughs) So then I could see, like, what they were doing, how they felt. And, like, I gave them, like, a clipboard and, like, paper so they could Mm -hmm. journal about it. Sometimes, sometimes I made them sit in silence for 20 minutes with nothing to do. Like, literally just sat and there was, like, 20 of them in a room. And I went, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. And I would, like, put a timer on and everything. But a lot of times it was also to help me grow. Mm-hmm. So as we were, like, simultaneously doing things. And, like, I'm also a big advocate for, I don't know if self-disclosure is the right word, but, like, if something's uncomfortable for me, like, I'll tell a client. I'm like, you're not the only one sitting in this discomfort. So then they also yeah. understand, like, oh, you, this is your profession, but you're also a human. Because I mm-hmm. think, too, like, once again, like, that humanization is, like, so, so big right. for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. They're looking... For someone to relate to. Correct. Mm-hmm. What would you say is like one of your biggest like challenges currently as a provider? Like something that maybe you're struggling with? One thing, like a personal thing, because this is just who I am as a human. Like I want to help everybody under the sun. So knowing I can breaks my soul. So like if I know that like sometimes you'll text me, hey, do you have room? Like in my caseload. And like me having to tell you no, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Or like mm-hmm. if I'm doing an assessment for another clinician's client and like they need a clinician and it's either me assessing them and again in the month and referring them out or referring them out right then and there because I can't do it and their eating disorder is primary. Like knowing I can't just like take them in my arms and help them. I hate it. So being able to like be okay with, I can't save the world. I'm not Superman. That's not why I'm put on this earth. Like, and being okay with that is hard. (laughs) Sometimes boundaries are really hard for me. Okay. Because sometimes I get, like I'm thinking of a client we were just talking about and she has a fantastic personality. And sometimes like I'm so personable that sometimes I'm even like, Jessica, boundaries like they're not your friend like you Mm -hmm. are so connected with these people you know things about them that nobody else knows Mm -hmm. but you are still a professional you know what I mean and so like reminding myself too of like that boundary sometimes is really hard for me yeah I mean that's a great point like as a provider you're also in those sessions for the same amount of time I mean if you're working with somebody for years like there's some people I've had for four years right Mm -hmm. I know who you are right right and they know you. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And yeah. so, like, I, I am a big proponent, uh, advocate for self-disclosure because I think for clients, and I'll always ask, can I give a personal example? And clients have told me no. I'm like, all right, done. Like, yeah. whatever. But I just feel like sometimes I always have to put myself into that space of, like, am I saying this for you or because I'm saying this, like, is it for me? Is it for you? Or do I think there's a connection there and really a boundary needs to be there? Mm-hmm. So sometimes that's really hard for me too. Because like how we're talking right now, I could be talking to a client and then I'm like, hmm, was that okay? Right. Just because I just get so natural in conversation mm-hmm. that I forget there is a delineation between who I am and who you are sitting in your office. Right. Right. All of your work as a therapist, yeah. right? What would you say is like your overall like biggest takeaway so far? Oh, goodness. Perception is everything. Mm-hmm. 
I do believe that there's so many people, right? And that's why family sessions are sometimes my favorite things to have. Mm -hmm. Because everybody has their own perception, their own, what's the word I'm looking for? Takeaway, I guess, Mm -hmm. of what they experienced in life. And everybody has such a different idea and memory of what happened in their life. And they could have, like, you and I today... You could be thinking, wow, Jess doesn't shut the fuck up. And I'm like, oh my God, today was fantastic. We did so great. (laughs) Right? And I just feel like it's so, like my biggest takeaway is no matter how many people I talk to, I know collateral is so important. And so I feel like my biggest takeaway is always remember that your story and your narrative is based on your experience. But that doesn't mean that there's another part of the story that we're missing that we have to bring forward. Or another piece that we have to remember. So knowing and understanding all the pieces and knowing that everybody hurts for whatever reason. And like big T traumas, little T traumas. That I feel like also goes in line with that of what might not have bothered me could have been entirely traumatic to somebody else. Mm -hmm. I am not the person to ever identify. Not even as a clinician, like even putting myself in like a person. How am I to say that that's not traumatic for somebody? So, even just taking away that everybody is entitled, everybody has a right, everybody is allowed to identify what's traumatic to them. Yeah. And just going through that process with them. Right. Like it's their story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not taking that away from them. However, also allowing them to realize that they don't need to stay in that victim zone. Right. And they don't need other people's words. They don't need that specific narrative to Mm -hmm. become their identity. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's a great answer. Thanks. (laughs) So why did you want to start a podcast? Oh my God, girl, I've wanted to do this for (laughs) so long. You have no idea. I just love talking. Mm -hmm. And I just also love eating disorders. And I know that sounds so wild, but I just love the population. I just think it's so interesting what the brain does and like how and the and the multitude of things that cause and define why someone has an eating disorder yeah. is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I've literally asked three people, you were one of them, mm-hmm. of like, let's do a podcast. And like, thank God you said yes. I was so <laughs> excited. You have no idea. I literally was holding my phone like this and I was like, oh my God, she said yes. <laughs> because I just feel like it's such a taboo conversation and it's bullshit that it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we are two people from two different ends of the um, provider spectrum mm-hmm. that support this population. And to have people understand how you don't just need a therapist. Like, you need a dietitian to recover. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. You need both. Yeah. So starting this to get the word out and to have these conversations so it stops being a conversation no one wants to have, I want it to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, I want this to be as normal as the sky is blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So I know one of the things that you and I have talked about is, like, we want this to be obviously a support for people, right? Yeah. And so that involves talking. That involves listening. Like, yeah. a big part of our work that involves eating, right? Yes. And so, you know, like, we want people to be able to, like, you know, kind of curl up with their favorite blanket and snack and, like, listen to what we're talking about. So what are what are some of, like, your favorite snacks, would you say? Oh, that's a great <laughs> question. I love talking about food. So if I'm home, because if I'm out, that is a different question or a different answer. If I'm home, um, 
Chex Mix and a Diet Dr. Pepper. I don't know what it is about the two things. Chef's kiss. <laughs> um, I also, for clarification, because I know people are going to hear diet soda and think something, I do not like the taste of any regular soda except for Sprite. I am a sugar fanatic. Like, I put three to five sugars in my coffee. Like, mm-hmm. I love sugar. Mm-hmm. But there's something about regular Coke and regular Dr. Pepper. The flavor doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. So, I drink Diet Coke and Diet Dr. Pepper for taste. Mm-hmm. Don't come at me eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. So, I would say that or um, pretzels and cream cheese. Okay. Or- we used to eat pretzels and sour cream growing up. Like, my mom, my brother, oh. and I... I have this distinct memory of that, but pretzels and cream cheese, I could see. Soft pretzels are like so the honey wheat twist pretzels are my favorite ones, Uh or pretzels and hummus. Mm -hmm. But my absolute favorite snack is to go to McDonald's and to get a large fry and a large diet coke. Mm -hmm. And if I'm really feeling frisky, I'll get a road fry. So I'll get a small fry (laughs) to eat while I'm driving, and then when I go home, I'll have the large fry with my large diet coke. Love it. Um, Love it. French fries complete my soul. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, my They're the best. So those I would probably have to say would be my favorite. Or like cold Milano cookies. Okay. Like you keep them in the fridge? In the freezer. Oh. Mm-hmm. All of my cookies and my chocolate, it's always frozen. I make chocolate chip cookies that I keep in the freezer. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to have them. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I keep Reese's in the fridge. Yes. Yeah, better cold. Mm-hmm. The tag-along cookies, mm-hmm. the Girl Scout cookies, yeah. in the fridge or freezer. That's so funny. The best ones. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. They're so good. Mm-hmm. I love everything cold. Okay. Last, last question that I'm thinking of. Like, I think this is something that, like, listeners will be really interested in. So, like... How do you yourself practice self-care as a therapist, right? Because self-care is something I'm sure that comes up uh-huh. all day long <laughs> for yep. you, right? And you're talking about it with other people. And that it's such a broad topic. It's such Correct. a broad spectrum of what that means. Like what, what does that mean for you? Like how do you practice that in your life? Great question. And I was laughing because I feel like I'm so bad at it <laughs> as a therapist. But I feel like, but I like to your point, me coming home from work and just laying on the couch with my fiance. I love saying that. Me laying <laughs> on the couch with my fiance, just like us watching a show together, is like part of my self care. Mm-hmm. So whether it's that or if I like get the chance to like, so I'm like a huge makeup skincare person. Um, so like me being able to like during COVID, I would just sit and do my makeup, and mm-hmm. Matt would be like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "Obviously nowhere. We're locked down." Right. But just like being able to put a face of makeup on, do something creative, like that to me is therapeutic and self care. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that, or like weirdly, my family's gonna come at me for this one, like reading a book. I know, shocker. <laughs> um, like I'm really trying to like get into reading, so sometimes that's it, or just like snuggling up with my dog. Mm-hmm. just like very basic things that people would be like, how is that self-care? You're just laying down on the couch. Mm-hmm. But when I'm emotionally taking things in, because yeah. like my caseload can hold 44 clients. So if we break that down, that's 44 hours a week of just listening to people's emotions and trying not to then engulf all of them and make them mine. Like yeah. that's a lot of, stuff to hear throughout the week. Even if it's just 24 people, like if my clients cancel, like my version of self-care is just putting, like going and being with the people that I love in the most simplistic of ways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like there are days where like bringing in therapy, right? It might be some form of a disconnection or like dissociation Mm -hmm. of what I'm going through in the sense of like my day was so emotional 
put, give me something on TV that I don't have to even think about because I don't want to have to use my brain. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's also understanding like the levels of self-care and also knowing like when are you dissociating and trying to avoid and when am I just trying to relax. Mm -hmm. But it probably is just like watching TV with Matt or reading or honestly like making a really good meal. Mm -hmm. Like I love cooking. Mm -hmm. So even doing that and being able to like provide for me and Matt and be like, look, I made something. It's not always good. (laughs) But even that I would say is like a form of self-care for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that there's such a wide range there of, like, all different things that you could be doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes just not doing. Just Exactly. Just laying and, like, relaxing and taking that time to recharge. Because I feel like people don't understand that self-care doesn't have to be a regimen, right? Sometimes my clients are like, oh, well, I did a face mask and then I washed my hair and then I did this and then I did that. And then they don't do it one Sunday and they're like, oh, my God, I didn't do it. I'm like, but now it's a routine. Mm-hmm. Now you're forcing it to be something right. to where if you don't do it, you don't feel relaxed. So at what point is this self-care? And at what point do we just make it maladaptive because you have to do it to feel good? Wow. Yeah. What a great point. Right? Mm-hmm. So even just being able to say that my self-care can literally, like, I don't have to think about it because it's so natural to, like, go lay on the couch. Maybe go order food with Matt or, like, take Tuck to the dog park. Like, Things that just recharge my battery and change my scenery, I would define as self-care. Just different things. Yeah. Dabble in. Love that. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. Are we swapping? We're swapping spots. Hit me, baby. I'm in the hot seat. (laughs) All right. So you should be a therapist. Those questions were so good. I'm going to like struggle now. Okay. (laughs) So starting off the way that you did, because I think it is such a important and such a like a great question. What led you to be a dietitian? Yeah, it is a good question. And I, towards like the second half of high school, as people were starting to really like narrow that down, I didn't even know what a dietitian really was. I wanted to be a pastry chef. And my parents took me to the Culinary Institute of America and I went on a tour and I loved it. And then, and I looked at other schools too, like I wasn't like totally in that realm but like I wanted to be a pastry chef and I kind of as I was thinking about it I was like okay this is like my love right like this is the number one thing to me is baking and if I turn that into a job am I going to hate it am I going to start to resent it so I kind of came to that decision that I was like I can always be a baker like I can always do that on the side I can always do that for fun I've always been that person that like People would say, hey, we're having a birthday party. Can you make the cake? cake. You know, I was like, I can always do this. So then it was, all right, well, now I need to figure out what the heck I'm going to (laughs) do with my life, right? Because I thought that was it. And so... You had a total, like, identity change there almost. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And so I have this distinct memory. My brother sat me down one night, and, and he... He's like the kind of person that he was like, how do you not know what you want to do? Like, you need to figure this out. And so... How old were you? This was, like, probably junior year of high school, I'm going to say. Like, we were, like, looking at colleges, and we were kind of going to figure this out. Yeah. So we sat down with, like, this big list of, like, every college major. And my brother was like, just circle the ones that, like, stand out to you. And it was nutrition, food science, like, dietetics. Like, everything was related to food. And then, like, through that, it was just sort of like, oh, well – you could be a dietitian and like, these are the schools that have the program and like, this is how you can do your internship. And then I started seeing schools and just kind of like found it that way. 
That's so fun. So what do you think it was? Like, can you remember going through your mind? Like, why dietetics? Why food science? Like, mm-hmm. why were those things out of... Because I can't only imagine how many topics were on that. Yeah. So yeah. why those? Yeah. I mean, I I kind of knew I wanted to do something in healthcare. Okay. Um, if I wasn't going to pursue baking, right? Like, yeah. the next thing was healthcare. You know, my mom's a nurse. My brother's a pharmacist. Like, there's a ton of people in my family that are in healthcare. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, okay, I want to do healthcare, but um, I don't like the blood and the gore and all that. <laughs> well, wasn't going to a hospital. <laughs> so I wasn't really going towards that realm too much. And then, like, it just kept coming back to, like, okay, this is literally the crossover between, like, I still get to work with food. I love food. Like, it's the biggest, you know, it's been the biggest, like, theme throughout my life Mm -hmm. is, you know, my relationship with food and baking and cooking and all that. Yeah. And I get to include, like, the science healthcare part, which was, like, always the subjects in school that I was, like, most interested in. So it just kind of seemed like that perfect marriage between the two. Um, But, yeah, I mean, going into it, like, I didn't know that much about, like, what a dietitian really did or, like, what kind of jobs I could possibly have that happen like throughout school. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So two questions for you then. Mm-hmm. Why then eating disorders? Secondly, going into school to become a dietitian. Cause I feel like I've had clients mm-hmm. that have eating disorders yeah. and go into the dietary field. Yeah. And I am always so curious, like what, do you learn about eating disorders when you're going through dietary school? What don't like, if it's even talked about at all and like, how were you able, or I guess what was your mentality going into it? So when they did talk about like calories and weighing food and like what they thought was best for your body and things like that, if they even talk about Mm -hmm. that, like what was that experience? Like what made you choose eating disorders? And like now Mm -hmm. being on the side, what, how did it affect you of what you learned? Mm-hmm. And, like, is it even accurate? Yeah. I don't know if that's the right way to, like, ask that question. Yeah. But. Yeah. No, it's a it's a lot of good questions. So, okay. So, <laughs> we, at least when I was in school, we did not learn a lot about eating disorders. And the little <sighs> bit that we did learn was more so just about, like, the medical complications, right? Mm. So it was very much in our, like, medical nutrition therapy class. Okay. Not really in our counseling classes. Um, Mm. But, like, throughout my time in school, I gravitated towards counseling classes so much more than, like, the medical nutrition therapy piece, right? Mm. And so, like, eating disorders was something I was always interested in. Like, I distinctly remember, so the way that my program was, like, senior year, we did our internships. So, like, we had classes one day a week, but then the other four days a week, like, we were out working, shadowing dietitians in all different fields. And I begged to go to an eating disorder program and have a rotation there. And I did one day. That's, like, the most that they could possibly give me. Like, there was just, like, For whatever reason, like, they already had interns set up. Like, it just, like, didn't work work. out where I could, you know, kind of, like, get a full, like, semester-long internship. Okay. So I I did one day at Renfrew. um, And Renfrew wound up being the place that I got my first job at. Um, And honestly, like, it probably sounds, like, impossible. But, like, literally came back from that one day and I was like, I found it. 
like this is That's it wild. you know I so again it kind of fell in my lap a little bit too yeah. like I always had that interest I was always mm-hmm. involved like in college in like national eating disorder awareness week events yeah. and like all that kind of stuff but um like really knowing like what the job would entail and like what yeah. my day would look like like I had that experience one day and I was kind of like, all right, like now I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our curriculum in school like didn't include much on eating disorders. Um, And that's something that I know a lot of programs are working to change. So like I go back to my school and like guest lecture. I've done that a couple of times where like they get a full lecture on not just the medical complications, right, yeah. but, like, more so about, like, the counseling, the psychology, all of that. And that was something that I had to learn so much of on the job because yeah. I, I didn't get any, you Correct. know, of that education when I was in school. Um, so it was, a, it was a huge learning curve once I started working. And thankfully, I had really great dietitians that, you know, like, kind of taught me so yeah. much, absolutely, because, you know, I didn't feel like I, you know, knew a lot about that piece going into it. So when you say counseling, mm-hmm. what are you learning? Because that's so interesting. So in like nutrition, nutrition yeah. counseling classes, you mean? Yes. Yeah. So you're basically learning a lot of more like counseling strategies, like mm. ask open-ended questions, like okay. reflect back information, like those kind of things. You're less learning how to actually like talk to somebody in a sense. Like okay. it's so, it kind of brings me back to what you were saying earlier where you were like, I didn't want to be the therapist. That's like so formal. Like, how does that make you feel? Yeah. You know, like. And I feel like a lot of what we learned in counseling was very, like, stiff and formal. Yeah. And so that's something that, like, I've definitely, like, grown in and changed my counseling style, like, throughout my time working, like, as I've gotten more comfortable, you know, with my own voice. Yeah. How are there so many different ways to be a dietitian? And, like, what are you learning? And, like, is it, like, does diet culture rule what you're taught in dietary school? Almost. My experience was, yeah, a thousand percent. That's like sickening. It was very entrenched in diet culture. It was very, like, you know, by the books. Like, honestly, like, let's call it what it is. It's like fat phobic treatment. Like, yes. that's, that's what we learned. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just, ne- like, even from that time, because I feel like there's so many providers that, like, sort of throughout their work, they're like, oh, okay, like, you know, like, they learn more about intuitive eating and health at every size, and they're like, you know. i Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, like, I, you know, I'm kind of grateful that, like, I feel like I always sort of had that approach, like, even when I was in school, yeah. like, as I was learning certain things, you know, restrictive diets, things like that, like, I, I was just able to, like, kind of put it in this box of being like, okay, like, this is something I'm learning, but, like, this isn't, my philosophy when it comes to nutrition at all, you know? And so like, even throughout college, like I bought the intuitive eating book and I was reading it like alongside with my textbooks and stuff. Like I was just always so much more interested in like those aspects of the field. Yeah. Um, and so I think it makes like looking back on it, it makes a lot of sense how I found like the eating disorder treatment world. But uh, I think at the time I didn't really realize that like those were steps like I was kind of taking towards this career path. Correct. Yeah. And that's the part that just, like, blows my mind. And the fact that, like, our educators and our foundation of dietetics starts with restriction yeah. makes me want to cry. Yeah, I mean, the amount of clients that I have come in who are so hesitant 
to mm-hmm. work with a dietitian. Mm-hmm. And it's something I ask in every first session. I say, have you ever worked with a dietitian before? And please give me your honest feedback. Mm-hmm. I want to know what your experience was like. I, I want to know what worked. I want to know what didn't work. And the amount of clients that I have that's like, well, I had this really terrible experience with a dietitian when I was younger. And like, mm-hmm. I don't really want to be here because, right. you know, like that's what they're expecting. Or it's honestly like it's reopening these, you know, traumas. These, these traumas. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. These old wounds. And so, yeah. you know, like that happens yeah. so, so frequently that I feel like building that initial rapport and like explaining like the philosophy that I have on food and nutrition and I practice from like I always make that a priority and take the time to do that. that because otherwise like right I mean people have this stigma with dietitians I mean so often it's like what do you do for work oh I'm a dietitian they're like oh write me a meal plan oh can you help me lose weight oh I want to tell you about this diet I'm on I'm like not every day. That's <laughs> not what I do here, people. I'm like, cool. Like, but not, that's what I'm not saying. my thing. <laughs> and like, that's the part. Just like with that statement, people ask me to check a diet, right? And like, mm-hmm. that's what people think a dietitian is, is to help you eat right to lose weight. Yeah. But like, you're not broken. Like, you yeah. don't need to lose weight to like fulfill yeah. this thing. And for dietitians to have... And, like, to even hear from one that, like, you essentially were taught how to teach people to restrict. Like, how are we well in this world? Mm -hmm. That's fucking mind boggling. Mm -hmm. So when you were going through school then and you were more naturally, right, intuitive Mm -hmm. than what you were learning, were people, did people look at you weird? Because you were, like, especially, not that we're old, but, like, especially, like, back then, Mm -hmm. That was an anomaly mm-hmm. to think about all foods fit, right? And health at yeah. every size. Yeah. So when, if, would you ask questions and would your um, peers or your teachers be like, no? Mm-hmm. Or like, what was that like? Or did you not really experience any like discord? Yeah, I don't really have any memories of like it really coming up. Okay. Um, well, when it did come up more was when I did my master's degree. Mm. And... At that point, I was already working, and I basically geared every assignment, like, around eating disorders, around a weight-neutral approach, around all foods fit, around intuitive eating. And I got worse grades sometimes because of that, because it was like, oh, well, this wasn't really the assignment, and I'm like, I don't care, (laughs) you know? Like, I... (laughs) This is why uh, I hire people. (laughs) And I was like... Okay, I'll get a worse assignment, but, like, I'm putting, you know, I'm already working. Like, I'm doing this in conjunction, and, like, I'm, I want to further, like, my knowledge in, like, my career. Yes. And so, like, okay, I'm going to write this paper on, you know, on eating disorder treatment, and, like, even if that doesn't, like, meet the assignment of this course, like, okay, but, like, I'm still going to do it. So, I didn't really experience it a lot when I was in like, my undergrad, but it was a lot more noticeable, like, in my graduate degree. I love the balls that you have. That's freaking <laughs> fantastic. I love that. And, like, I th- but I feel like that's the support, right? This mm-hmm. is the support. This is the networking. This is the, like, middle finger to the man of, like, you're not going to stop me from talking about a very serious yeah. topic, right? Like, yeah. everybody's so concerned on people being fat. But is anybody concerned that the eating disorders has the second highest mortality rate out of all illnesses? And the only thing to be eating disorders in death rates is opioids. Yeah. So it's worse than cocaine. It's worse than methamphetamines. Mm-hmm. It's worse. Like, if you think about that, mm-hmm. you are saying that, like, 
there are these that eating disorders is worse than drugs and yet we're more concerned of people getting fat than actually like living you have to look a certain way over than being alive yeah like that's a disgusting message that we're sending to the world and it's starting with education Mm -hmm. yeah we're so scared of weight that we're willing to sacrifice health correct Mm mm-hmm but they mask it in, we want you to be healthy. Right, yeah, it's exactly, it's so misleading, right? Right. It's like, this is how you achieve health, right? But like, it's all we're doing is like glorifying restrictive behaviors, you know? And it's taking us further, you know, from Mm -hmm. what health actually is. Correct. There's this wild percentage too. It's like children are, I'm so bad with, I have a terrible memory, I'm so bad with statistics, but it's like something like children are like, 200 times more likely to develop an eating disorder than type 2 diabetes. And so it's 200. It might even be 250. I've seen other people post about it. And it's like, right, like that to me always like stands out that like we're so, you know, like we're so focused. Yeah, exactly. The wrong thing. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for us to have a whole conversation of that within itself in this podcast because we could talk about that for another 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so going back to like you and your interview, right? So favorite parts of work, what do you feel like you're struggling with as a provider? Like what do you feel like those strengths and weaknesses, like checks and balances are for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my favorite part of my job, and this is why I love counseling and I love outpatient specifically, mm-hmm. is I get to spend so much time with my clients Mm. and I get to like really develop that relationship with them where like in other, I I had a job at one point where I was like a clinical dietitian in a hospital Mm -hmm. and like I would spend four minutes with a patient and then like Mm. be spending a half hour charting and then like go back in three days and they were discharged and it was like, there was just no continuity of care. And that's what I love so much about like what I do now is that like, I get to work with, like, so many amazing clients, like, over courses of time. I mean, I think that's a huge misconception with eating disorders is people think that, like, you know, or people don't realize that treatment takes a long time. And so, like you were saying, like, oh, I might have a client for four years. Like, absolutely. And we spend so much time with them. And I that's the part that I really appreciate the most. Yeah. I would say what I struggle with, and this has always been a struggle for me, and it's something I've definitely when working on but it's hard is like I say it's like emotional work-life balance right it's kind Mm. of like what you were saying earlier but I take a lot of those emotions home like if a client is struggling if they're not doing well yeah or even if a session just doesn't go how I want it to go you know I mean I could have all amazing sessions all week long and like if there's one that like for whatever reason you know Mm -hmm. the client was really struggling or I didn't love the way, like, I said something or I didn't love the approach that I took. Like, I spend a lot of time on that and, like, my own thoughts and emotions. And so that's something, like, I try and work on separating, you know, as much as I can, too. Um, I get a lot of, like, confidence from work. And so I find that, like, because I get a lot of confidence from work, which is great, like, I think it's awesome, you know, that I found something that I'm, like, really passionate about. Um, but then, you know, when something doesn't go as well, like it, it hits me hard. Correct. Yeah. I know that pain. And like, I, and I, I'm with you on that. 
Have you ever experienced a session where you thought it didn't go well and then a client came back and said that was one of the best sessions I've ever had? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a wild experience. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Because I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, like perception, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Or vice versa. Like there are some sessions where maybe I'm feeling... I'm feeling good, you know? Yes. I'm like, yes. wow, we got somewhere. Like, we did great. And then, like, and I love when clients give me feedback. Like, one of my, yeah. one of the first things I always say to a client is I say, I'm going to be 100% transparent with you because I want you to be 100% transparent with me. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to tell you how it is. I want you to give it back to me. Correct. And so, like, I love when clients come in and they'll say, like, you know, they'll give me feedback, right? Like, yeah. that's really important, too. Um, I'm with you there. So, yeah, sometimes, like, there is definitely that um, that shift in perception and perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you on mm-hmm. that. I always find it so interesting, like, and that's a question that, like, sometimes I'll ask, like, for certain clients, it's, like, after every session, I'm like, so how did you feel about today? What mm-hmm. did you get out of? I love that. Just to know, like, where they are. And I feel like, too, right, I'm, now that I'm saying this out loud, I wonder if it's almost like a discomfort of mine or, like, to see, like, are we on the same page here? Yeah. Like, did you like this? And like, did you feel it as much as I did? Um, but it is a very interesting experience when like, you're very much in your head and you're like, oh shit, like, was I too hard? Like yeah. these questions I didn't ask. And they're like, oh my God, last week was fantastic. And I'm like, cool, great. Yeah. Um, it is a, it's a perception is a very, very interesting thing. I really like that. I feel like too, since we work with like children and adolescents too, we're mm-hmm. like, they're not typically asked that from adults they're not typically asked like their perspective on things and so right to open up that space and be like how was today for you you know like tell me about it I really like that I mean I have to start using that too it's really interesting to see how people respond to it because it's almost like that question of what do you need today right people aren't always asked their opinions and like that people care about them or like that they're checked in with a lot yeah so that's always something that I do like to do or like even at the end of the year like let's recap right like what did you get out of it like how do you feel even like one thing I love is like at the end of the year you just like randomly shoot out like you don't do this anymore you don't do that anymore Mm -hmm. this is what you used to struggle you told me you would never be able to overcome this and guess Mm -hmm. what you did right Mm -hmm. and seeing them light up like a freaking Christmas tree is like everything yeah Um, yeah celebrating like those wins is huge correct Mm -hmm. because they people feel like they can't right right right. so it's always interesting um and really nice to go through all those things too yeah absolutely for sure Mm -hmm. um I also like how you said because I feel like people don't realize it like especially from the dietary piece of things maybe is that like how emotional your work gets yeah right and so for you to be able to say like you can like your days are so emotional and you have to learn to separate work from home yeah people don't understand what goes into eating disorders Mm -hmm. people don't understand what somebody was struggling with mentally how deep that goes with their relationship with food and how deep those things go to themselves and how much like self-loathing we deal with day in and day out because of our second hand of it of what our clients are going through. Mm-hmm. So I think too, just like for people to understand that like therapy isn't the only place that our clients are getting emotional relief. Like right. it's equally as important for them to see you because they mm-hmm. also get it through you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with you, it's almost ev- like more important than it is to see me because you are the one that is literally being like, Oh, you're afraid of French fries. Sick. Let's eat them. Mm-hmm. And you're helping them in those yeah. moments. Like, 
your work is insanely Mm -hmm. monumental Mm -hmm. to the recovery process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some jobs where like our job title was nutrition therapist. Like, I love that, that was the title. It wasn't registered dietitian or, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. I say to clients all the time, I'm like, I'm not a therapist and I'm, I'm not trying to be your therapist, right? I but I'm but, like, but, I have some education, <laughs> but I am not a dietitian. Yeah. Um, I'm like, but, you know, if it's in the realm of food in your body and, like, there's stress, there's anxiety, you know, like, there's these, you know, other emotions coming up with it, like, that's within our realm to talk about, you know, and it's, and it's very important and impactful that we do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like, cause one thing you said too, that I found interesting was you feel like you see your clients more now than you did at any other job. Did Mm -hmm. you feel that way with PHP and IOP? Cause I feel like I know my clients less than I did at PHP and IOP. I think it's different because when you work in a program as a dietitian, you're very involved in the day-to-day when it comes to the meals. And so I would do a lot more meal support. Okay. Um, but the session times and frequencies, I feel like were less than like what they are now. Mm. I also think too, like, so I think in terms of like client FaceTime in a program, like I would run groups, I'd be in meals, like I'd have sessions. So there was a lot of opportunities for FaceTime, but I think the way private practice is set up now where it is like 45 minutes, lots of times it goes longer of like just me and you one-on-one, like we're exploring every avenue. It just feels so different even if the amount of like physical time we're spending together is less I think it's just Mm. like so much more of like an open and honest like space I love that yeah I never realized that right because like from my perspective every day we all saw every single client right Mm -hmm. so everyone's in the milieu waiting to get weighed waiting to you know start setting up lunch so like that's an opportunity for me to go and talk to them and like those little conversations Mm -hmm. was more evidence and more information I was getting about them right then we would have one to two sessions a week that's more than I'm doing now sometimes well two obviously I do one right or some clients sometimes I see clients bi-weekly right Mm -hmm. so like or and then having groups on top of that being able to talk to them during meals so I feel like for a therapist we're all about conversations and understanding yeah. people. So I understand why mine feels so much less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so freaking interesting because yeah, yours is. really is mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is interesting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the word for today is perspective. Yes. I feel like that really rang a big theme today. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So snacky snacks. <laughs> What's your go-to, baby? Oh, so many. Um, That's what I'm saying. I love, oh, I love food. So yeah, so many. Um, okay. Let's think. So on the go, I'm a big like peanut butter granola bar kind of person. Yum. Like I, some of my clients will laugh at this, but I keep a granola bar in my car, in every bag that I own, like in everything. Cause I'm always like, you never know. You, you never, never know. know what's going to happen. Facts. You never know when you're going to get hungry. So that's like my go-to, but for like... When I'm home or um, something like that, like, I love flavored chips. Like, I love, I love, like, salt and vinegar chips, pickle chips. They're the purple Doritos, the, like, spicy ones. I love those. Yes. Um, 
I love like cheese and crackers and grapes. Oh and my like, god, how could I forget charcuterie boards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Charcuterie yes. boards, exactly. Um, I love watermelon and mangoes. And so I like a lot of variety. I'm a big variety person. Um, sometimes I need clients to reel me back in with that where they're like, you know, I'm always talking about variety. I'm always, because that's how I like to eat. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, lots of variety with snacks. I love dessert too, you know, like cookies and ice cream and that kind of thing. So I like to have a big mix. I don't like to eat the same things like day after day. So I always have a full cabinet with snacks so I can pick what I'm feeling in the moment. Yeah. We had in our um, laundry room upstairs, we had a pantry door. And from the top to the bottom was an array of snacks. Like, my mm-hmm. friends, when they would come over, would go straight to the laundry room. <laughs> because it's so, like, variety was such a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Really good. This mm-hmm. was really good. Yeah. That was one of the things that I was, like... Obviously, since we work together so much, yeah. I knew we would have no issues talking. Mm-hmm. But you never really know until it happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I hope all of you liked it too, because I had a grand old time. <laughs> well, Any other questions? I feel like we said a lot. I feel like we covered it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, think we so answered too. everything. And if you have questions for us, you know, we're going to be doing some QA kind of episodes coming up. Correct. So uh, you can follow us on Instagram and. There we will have some, you know, opportunities for you to ask some questions that we will feature on the podcast. So you can look forward to that in the future too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, for listening, for being here. And I feel like I can speak for Maggie, um, but she and I really cannot wait for this journey and really being part of your support network, your support system of eating disorder recovery and really learning to love yourself and food. Yeah, we're so excited. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Peace. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nourish and Empower podcast. We hope this episode helped you redefine, reclaim, and restore what health means to you. If this episode resonated with you, please subscribe, Leave a rating and comment and share with anyone else who you feel may benefit. We'll meet you back here next time with a new conversation and one of our favorite snacks.